the series that God has been taking us down concerning the watchman. We said last time we met, look around. We are the last watchman on the last watch of the last hour. Mm. This world is in such a state and condition. If you don't believe these are the last days, you've probably been in a hole in the ground for quite some time. This is the end of the end, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. This thing is winding up. With every advancement of AI, with every advancement of technology, we see people getting further and further away from God in terms of yielding to him. And we see more and more of the world encroaching into the, quote, church, that the watchmen are few. They are few in number. They are few in character. They are, they are few in determination. I wish it were not that way. I wish I could say something else to you. But I have to tell you the truth because I am a watchman, not called by my own self, not anointed by my own self, but sent into this time, into this place, into this season to declare, thus saith the Lord. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the job and duty of the watchman. I'll go all the way back for those who may be picking us up afresh. We're working from three primary texts from Ezekiel 3.17. I'll read again in your hearing. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Ezekiel 33.6. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned... If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Ezekiel 33, 8. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. The onus is on the watchman to watch. The onus is on the watchman to declare. The onus is on the watchman to deliver what thus saith the Lord. In our closing, we determine that the watchman cannot be afraid. The watchman cannot look at the people's faces and then from their countenance determine what he will say or what she will say. It's not about how your eyes meet the eyes of another. That is not where the courage is coming from. The courage is coming from God to declare and the motivation of the watchman, watch this word, should be love. Not anger. I'm not watching because I'm angry. I'm not watching because I, I don't like the people. No, I'm watching because God called me. And number two, there is a love for the people over whom I am watching. If you know the culture of the watchman, the watchman will sit on a watch on a wall while everyone else is in the city. They're relaxing. They're eating. And they're doing that with a, a type of confidence that there's a guy on the wall out there. So if anything comes, we'll hear the trumpet. And that's what people do. Let me, let me get comfortable. 
Whereas the watchman is, has to be vigilant, at attention. Uh, you don't get to relax and sit back and, and just chill. while every, No, you have to be on your watch. For the length of time you are assigned, if you don't want that assignment, if you don't want to accept that responsibility, then don't do it. But you have one problem that I will outline again. If God has called you to be a watchman and you reject his call, you are accountable for that call on the day of judgment. Even if you never go. Even if you say, well, I never took the job. I have elected you as a watchman. Now, if you deny that call and say, well, I'm not going to do it, it doesn't excuse you. It doesn't release you. It, all it does is, is pushes out the date of judgment to say, at that day when you stand before God, he will ask you about the calling, O watchman, did I not call you to watch? Mm. Jesus showed us a glimpse of this in the garden, in his hour of prayer, his hour of trying. He left three disciples. All I want you to do is watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And they fell asleep. And he went and he came back. He says, what are you doing? Did I not ask you, can you not tarry with me for one hour? All I'm asking you for is a small amount of time. Can you not watch? They said, oh, Lord. And then they fell asleep again. He went and prayed and came back. Read the Synoptic Gospels. And he said, you know what? What was the last thing he said to them? He said, sleep on now. Go ahead and take your rest. Go ahead and sleep. Is that what you want God to say to you? No. Just go, go. Okay, you know what? Never mind. I've asked you once. I've asked you twice. And you've given me excuses. And you've fallen into self and you've gone to sleep. You know what? Go ahead and sleep. Jesus. I'll, 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 get, I'll get on with the business. Mm. You just go ahead and take your rest. I would be humiliated. I would be embarrassed and disappointed in myself to let God down like that. When I look at my own personal life and see how he brought me, raised me, kept me, saved me eight different times from sudden death. Why are you keeping me on this planet, Daddy God? I want you to be a watchman. Therefore, my response to him is I owe you everything. Therefore, I will watch for you, Daddy God. I will declare what you say. I will warn them even if they don't listen. The watchman has to declare with clarity what does saith the Lord. The watchman faces idolatry in the church. In 2019, the inroads of the idolatrous practice and the occult have grown and are growing and will grow. You will constantly be facing the incursion of those who will bring practices not from God right into the house of God. As we saw Ezekiel 8 and 3, Ezekiel 8 and 10. If you have not listened to the podcast previously, go back and listen for the recap there. The watchman confronts paganism, pagan worship. We saw women worshiping, weeping for Tammuz, Ezekiel 8, 14. We saw 25 so-called men of God standing between the porch and the altar facing the east, bringing in eastern worship, sun worship, into the very sanctuary. Mm. We know that these things are still continuing, as we will see. 
We saw the outline, how that strategically they were surrounding the place, the most holy place, the place where worship should be happening in the temple. All of this idolatrous activity was happening all around it, filling it with everything except the presence of God. Pagan worship in the church is also one of the things faced by the watchman. 2 Peter 2, 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. Now, if you are a student of the word, if you're a person that actually believes what the Bible says, when you first read that, you've got to latch onto the fact that it is true. There were false prophets among the people of Israel, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is the Apostle Peter writing by the Holy Spirit to say what was faced in the past is going to be faced in the future. What they dealt with in the Old Testament, you will deal with now in the form of teachers, evangelists, TV personalities, radio personalities. You will deal with false teaching. And unless you know the word of God, you will be defenseless. How do you know a heresy when you hear it? Unless you know what the truth is. So what is the watchman to do? The watchman is to watch for the heretical. The watchman is to watch for the pagan entrance into the church. The watchman is to defend that border, to watch that line, to watch that circumference and say they are approaching with that which is not from the text of scripture. Are you hearing this? That they will come. It's not like they might. No, they will come. They are already here. They have already infiltrated on many fronts. And if someone is sitting there, online or wherever, listening to this message, and you do not see the infiltration, that is a sign that you have no watchman. Wherever you are, I don't know what church, denomination, whatever group you are, if you don't think there's a problem, that is a sign you have no watchman. Because a watchman should have told you by now where the breaches are in the wall. The watchman should have told you from which direction is the enemy coming. The watchman should have told you how are they infiltrating into the church. By now you should know. Father God help us in Jesus name. 2 Peter 2 4 confirms even further. For if God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So what should the watchman be telling you? The watchman should bring the context of the history of God before the church. The watchman should be telling you, you don't understand, as we read about Uzzah this morning, you don't understand the kind of God we are dealing with. God took the angels. 
that he himself created. When they got out of order, he bound them and put them in chains of darkness. This is God we're talking about. His creation. What else did he do? The watchman should be telling you that he took the entire planet and plunged it in water. <laughs> Who do you think you're dealing with? This is God. This is his creation. The watchman should be telling you, don't be so arrogant to think, oh, God won't do anything. Oh, it's been a while. Things are going good. We'll just keep living the way we're living. This is God we're talking about. Amen. The one who bound the angels. The one who plunged the entire planet in water. What else did he do? The watcher should be telling you, this same God rained fire and brimstone and destroyed two whole cities. Leveled them in a nuclear holocaust. Amen. That is God. Amen. He's not a man and he is not human. He doesn't feel like you feel. He doesn't think with your thoughts. The Bible even tells us that his ways are above our ways. Farther than the earth from the heaven. God's ways from the east to the west never meet the ways. We're what we're thinking and how we're feeling. Oh, I would never do that. That's why you're not God. He took the supreme decision as the creator, as the sovereign, using his right to rule and destroyed two whole cities with fire and brimstone. And one person didn't take his instruction, didn't believe what he said, and they were turned to a pillar of salt. This, ladies and gentlemen, is our God. This is in the New Testament. This is not in the Old Testament. The reference is in the New Testament. Do you not understand? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why the watchman must watch. That's why the watchman must sound the alarm. That's why the watchman must blow the trumpet. Forget about self. Declare, do you love the people enough to sound the alarm? It's not going to be before you long. The message is continuing. The watchman in 2019 will confront Gnosticism in the church. It is already, as I said, in the church. It is working at such a subtle level that the average parishioner has no idea they're listening to a Gnostic pastor, a Gnostic evangelist. They have no idea what the doctrine entails. Therefore, they are swallowing large amounts of strychnine, large amounts of poison, and have no idea that they are doing so. Second Timothy 3, 5, a very key verse in understanding what is going on. Let me slow down in Jesus' name. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you have your Bible, the references you need to read are verses 1 through 4. We picked up verse 5 for a particular reason. Holy Spirit, help us in this place to explain 
all that needs to be explained. The form of godliness is a type. It is an image. It is a construct that looks like what it is not. When the form of godliness appears before the congregation, before the people of God, those without discernment cannot tell the difference. Mm -hmm. If I took a botanist, someone who studies the life of plants, and I put before him a plant to his right, and I put before him a plastic plant to his left, <laughs> a botanist would quickly, I'm sure more than most, be able to spot the difference. Some of us can spot the difference. But certainly someone who studies plant life would know that is not real. That's, not, that's, that's fake. So if the Christian is sitting in a place where there is no watchman, has not been warned what to watch for, when that which is the form of godliness appears, they cannot tell the difference. They think that thing that I'm looking at is real. Actually, that's the fake one. That's the first part. In order to work, the form that is like godliness must simultaneously deny the power of godliness. If you knew what godliness was, what is godliness, Pastor? Godliness is godlikeness. That's what godliness is. So something that looks like it's like God does not contain the attributes and the character of God. It's, it's, it's posing. Are you understanding? It's posing like, but it is not. But what it must be doing, it must be subtly, simultaneously denying real godly activity and authority. And that is your sign. Mm. That is your key in mm. spotting it. If you don't know what the real looks like, you won't have a chance spotting the false. But if you know how godliness performs, how godliness acts, what does godliness do, Pastor? Well, Godliness will always act in the interest of God. Amen. Godliness will always exalt his agenda. Godliness will always usher forth what is in the mind of God primarily. Are you understanding? So you can break every heaviness when you know that godliness wants to celebrate God. <laughs> Holy Spirit, teach the lesson here. We are instructed that when we encounter such individuals operating in the form of godliness, we are to do what? Turn away. Amen. What society is telling us to do is turn to. The Bible tells us turn away. Oh, well, you're, you're breaking fellowship. Oh, you're not going uh, with those persons. If they are walking in a form of godliness, the Bible tells you turn away. Get away from them. Because what they are, you will become. How can two walk together except they be agreed? You cannot join yourself with ungodliness or the form of godliness and think you will still be godly. It will not work. The Bible says turn away. You don't know what you're handling. You don't know what you're dealing with. Get away from that. Do you know these individuals? Look at the next line. These are the sort. What is the sort? That means the type. 
These are the type of men and women who creep into houses. Well, last time I checked, the only thing creeping into a house was a thief. Thieves creep into houses. Sneak. What does it mean to creep? To, eat, to ease in without discovery. So, so the form of godliness eases in without notice, without discovery, if there is no watch person. Are you seeing how this is all laid out? We're going somewhere with this because at the end of this is Gnosticism. So when they enter in, they look for a type of person to attack and attach themselves to. That person must be deficient of the word of God. That person must be deficient of a prayer life. That person must be deficient of a walk with God. What does that mean? That means that they have no prayer life. They have no real-time walk with God. They have no deep relationship. That's the person that they're looking for. To take them captive because they're already captive. Are you seeing how deep this goes? These individuals, they call them captive silly women. Well, if they're captive, what are they captive to? The next line tells you. Sin. Sin. He said, these individuals are not sitting out there on Broad Street. They're in the churches. That's who Timothy is speaking to. He's speaking to the church. The letter is to the church. Are you understanding? Paul writing to Timothy, the letter is telling us inside the church are people who are sitting there who are captive to sin. So that when these ruthless, godless persons who have a form of godliness, they have the right tie, the right suit, the right pronunciation, they have the right grammar, they have the right charismata, they can carry it off, they look like the real deal, they are empty, they are void, they are denying true godliness. How do I know that? Because they're going to people's houses and taking them captive who are already captive. They're not going to set them free. They're going to further incarcerate them. That's like saying, oh, that person's in prison. Well, let's go in there and put some chains on them and chain them to the bench. Well, they're already in prison. And they're going in there not to liberate, but to further enslave them. That is the difference between true godliness, thank you, Holy Spirit, and ungodliness, this form of godliness. Where there is true godliness, people are liberated and delivered from sin. Where there's a false godliness at work, people become more enslaved and captured. And particularly, it lays out women. There is a reason. We will come to that by God's grace. They're led away with lust. What kind of lust? Many lusts. What are divers? Divers are many. Many types of lusts. Lust for things. Lust of the eye. Lust of the mind. Lust for knowledge without God. How do you say that? Well, I read verse 7. Ever learning. What are you learning? Learning what? Are you learning about God? Well, if I'm learning about God, how could I be getting farther from him? That's not the learning it's talking about. Never able to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. 
So then, if I'm not coming to the knowledge of truth, but I'm learning, what am I learning? What is the opposite of truth? Anyone in the balcony like to answer that question? <laughs> A lie. So if I'm not learning the truth, what am I learning must be a lie. The Bible is telling us. This is what I'm saying. We read the scriptures all the time. What do they mean? If I'm not coming to the knowledge of truth, but I'm learning, the only thing I could be learning is the knowledge of the lie. Here enters Gnosticism. Even then, when Paul was writing to Timothy, it was at work. Gnosticism from the ancient Greek, just to show historical value. And for those who think preachers can only talk from the Bible, they can't give any secular commentary, that's a lie as well. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know so you'll be wise and not stuck in a scripture that you don't understand. Gnosticism from the ancient Greek, gnostikos, means having knowledge. From knowledge is a modern name for a variety, listen, a variety of ancient religious ideas and systems. So Gnosticism is not just one thing. It is a system, and there are different variations of Gnosticism. I've studied plenty of them. We do not want to go down that road because we will be here a very, very long time. Variety of ancient religious ideas and systems originating in Jewish Christian melu or period or time or area. That's what the melu is. In the first and second century AD, these systems believe that the material world is created by an emanation or works of a lower god called the Demiurge. And that that creation trapped or trapping the divine spark within the human body. This divine spark could be liberated by gnosis or knowledge, spiritual knowledge acquired through direct experience. Some of the core teachings include the following. Now before we go to the following, let's just recap just that synopsis of what Gnosticism is. And then you can compare it to Paul writing to Timothy dealing with a Greek church. Dealing with a few Jewish believers who were following Christ. But the majority, as you already know, or you should know, of Paul's ministry was to who? The Gentiles. And who are the Gentiles? Anyone that's not a Jew. So what he's talking about with Timothy is this Gnosticism that is at work in the church where you are pastoring, where you are ministering, where you are leading. Let me tell you, Timothy, they are there in your congregation. These Greek Gnostics are sitting right there. They do not believe what you are saying. They are acquiring knowledge Spiritual knowledge, but not the truth. Right in the midst of the church. My God, what a mess. What a true mess. That while you are seeking God and you're preaching Christ, they are seeing another Christ. They're seeing God, if you call him Yahweh, they call him another name. Mm. And they say that Yahweh was 
himself created by another being who's higher than him, but he, I'm giving you the, the, fast, the fast motion here, but he created the earth, the demiurge. He's a lesser God than the other God who's above him. So the Gnostics are looking at your approach to Christ, saying that you, Mr. Christian, are only worshiping Jesus, Yahweh here. But beyond Jesus, Yahweh, there is another being greater than both of them who created them. And you would never know it by looking in their face. Some of the teachings include that all matter is evil. And the non-material spirit realm is good. Now, what does that mean for us as what I just said? Jesus did what? Left his throne in glory. He came into the earth. He was born of a virgin. Do I have any believers of that? Can I see a hand raised? Can't hear your head nodding. So the moment he became incarnate, the moment he came into flesh, the moment he became tangible and cried out as a baby, according to the Gnostics, he ceased to be good. Are you understanding this now? Mm -hmm. Because if the material is evil, anything material is evil. So Jesus becoming incarnate is a problem. He now, can't, how can he be the savior if he's evil? This is the Gnostics thinking. I'm, I'm telling you the Gnostics is thinking. So they offer two solutions. One is that Jesus only appeared to be material, but he was actually spiritual. That's the Gnostics teaching. He looked like he was natural, but he was actually a spirit. That's one way of getting around this dilemma. The other is to say, Christ is not the Savior because he's evil. And we'll see why at the end here, why they say he's not the Savior. The second thing is, and this is not an a, a exhaustive tenets of their core teachings. These are the ones we highlighted for this study. There are others that go outside, as you can hear me quoting. There are others that go outside of what's written here, but you need to capture the nucleus of this. There is an unknowable God who gave rise to many lesser spirit beings called eons. We'll see who that God is in just the next line here. The creator of the material universe is not the supreme God. So when we say that Jehovah created all things, that God made all things, they will smile and say, yes, you're right. However, he's a lesser God. who made the material universe, but an inferior spirit. Sophia, who created the Demiurge, who? Sophia created the Demiurge, who created the universe. What just happened? God just got replaced by Sophia. Whoa, now you understand Verse 6, captive silly women who believe in the divine feminine. Sophia, the goddess, mother 
earth, Gaia. All of this now compounds. All of this now compounds. The Greek Gnostic is believing that Sophia is the supreme God who created what? The lower emanations, the Demiurge. The Demiurge then creates the earth. Well, we say God created the earth. Yeah, you're right. God created the earth. But he himself was created by Sophia, who is the mother. And this is why you hear some people saying, how do you know that God is not a woman? And it is certain singers talking about God is a woman, blah, 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 blah. That is what that's Gnosticism. Telling you that God is the female, Sophia, who gave life. And now you know why Hanson Robotics named their creation Sophia. It, it, it all comes back. The AI is being called Sophia, the creator of all. Church, you've got to open at least one eye. <laughs> at least pop one eye open and peep over the cover. This is marching into the church even now. It was marching in in Timothy's day. Paul described it in the best way he could describe it to Timothy. Watch these people. Get away from them. They have a form of godliness, but it is not real. There is no real godliness there. They are leading you and leading them who will follow down a path of destruction. They are ever learning. Well, what are they learning? Gnosticism. That's what they are learning. That's why they can't come to the knowledge of the truth that God is God, that Jehovah is God. <laughs> oh, my Lord. The divine spark. We can talk on that one for a long time. How many people, you'll see on the next slide, how many people use this coded language about God within? Christ consciousness. The, the real you, the better person, the super id, super ego. All of these terms come out of Gnosticism. That inside of you is God, already created, just needing to be released. The, oh, Father, in the name of Jesus. The next line tells us, Gnosticism does not deal with sin. Only ignorance of the divine spark. Gnosticism says, your problem is not you need a savior. Your, the problem is not you're inherently wicked. The problem is not you're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. No, the problem is you just don't recognize the divine spark that is already in you. So what does that do? I don't need a savior because sin is not an issue. I don't need a cross. I don't need any blood. I don't need a sacrifice. All I need to do is recognize the divine within. They asked a man who happens to be the president of a nation, if he was a Christian, and he said that he believed. Then they asked him a very curious question. Do you repent of your sins? His answer was, you know, I try to live in such a way that I don't, I don't really have to go there. I don't really have to say sorry. You know, if I make a mistake, I'll learn from my mistake and I will, I will try to do better. Well, wait a minute, uh, Mr. President. The question was, do you repent of your sins? Well, like I said, I, I, I try to live in such a way that I don't make mistakes. And this person danced all around, all around the answer, but never said. See, a Gnostic, there is no sin. 
That's why you cannot bring conviction on someone who says sin doesn't exist. Sin is for Christians. Well, I haven't done anything. I'm just, re- I'm just recognizing. I'm just being the best me I can be today. That's all. I'm just focusing on being the best me. This is Gnosticism. It is already in the church. To achieve salvation, one needs to get in touch with the gnosis, with the knowledge. We're rounding up. We're rounding up for today. The watcher must confront this that is hidden in the church. What you see on the screen there, for those listening online or listening to the podcast, you'll see a very famous American pastor named Joel Osteen. Yes, I said his name out loud. When on the Oprah Winfrey show, he talked for at least an hour. Never mentioned the blood. Never mentioned the name of Jesus. Never mentioned the need for atonement. Never mentioned the need for repentance. Talked for an hour on every positive self-help subject and never, ever mentioned the name of Jesus. You can go, you can look it up online and watch it yourself. He's not the only one that's done that. First, uh, 2 Timothy 4.4. 4. Again, this letter, Paul writing to Timothy. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, stories. They will leave God's word and they will go after something else. We only have two examples in this category. In closing, the first example we lifted from the C of E. Most of you know what the C of E is. It is the Church of England. It changed its articles in one of its resolutions in its recent synod, which was its gathering or its meeting to determine what the course of the church would be. They approved liturgies for transgendered persons, created services exclusively for transgendered persons. The synod spat in the face of Article 20 of the 39 Articles of Religion. That's in their own church, their own charter. The Church of England's founding charter, which categorically states that the church has power to decree rites or ceremonies and authority in controversies of faith. And yet it is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's written word. Neither may it so expound one place of scripture that is that it be repugnant to another, or put, in other words, scripture at controversy. And that's your URL. If you want to go to that website, read the entirety of the story. It's right there. You can do that. So that's example one of an entire institution. When they did this, many of those in the Anglican community in Africa separated. They said, we're not going down that road. It was the same way when they approved of homosexuals pastoring and ministering in the CFE, many separated the communion and refused to follow because they broke this article, 20, deciding we're not going to go. We're still talking about Gnosticism here, and we'll show you how it's connected in just a moment. Example two we lifted is from, again, America. I'll I'll read the quote and then we'll talk about who presented it. The more you get to be like me, the more they're going to think that way of you. 
This is the language. It's very clever. They crucified me for claiming that I was God. But I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that he was in me. Hallelujah. That's what you're doing. Yeah, that's very subtle. What are, you what are you talking about? You're listening to a quote from Kenneth Copeland, Voice of Victory broadcast, 1987. That's how far it went back in Dallas, Texas. There's the article URL again. So what he's saying in quotation is that Jesus came to him and said these words to him in his face, that Jesus spoke to him and told him, the more you get to be like me, Jesus, the more they're going to think that way of you. What? The more you get to be like me, the more people will think you're like me the more people will think you are me. Look at the language. Then he says that Jesus said, I didn't claim to be God. I didn't claim that I was God. I just claimed that I walk with God. And that he was with me. Can you believe this? Is there one vital student, stu student in all of Dallas, Texas that could have come, come up and said, hold on a minute, Mr. Copeland. I hate to interrupt your broadcast, but that's blasphemy. You're saying that when the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was God, that Jesus, this same word who became flesh, came to you and said, I didn't claim to be God. The same Jesus that said that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This, this is the same Jesus that came to you in your bedroom while you were having your milk and cookies at night and told you that he didn't claim to be God. <laughs> and millions of people swallowed it whole without any objection. Do you understand what he just said? And if you ask a Christian, do you understand what you just read? A lot of them would say, no. Until you begin to... Read it for yourself. I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him. And it's no wonder in Gnosticism they're saying he is not God. He's just a man who had Christ consciousness. As the New Ages tell you, that anybody, any one of us could have the Christ consciousness. Madame Petraea Levesky, the writer of Theosophy, says... Oh, all you need to do is be in touch with your inner self. Just know who you are divine on the inside. And here he is, a leader. Now, this same person, my heart broke because recently, this same person, Kenneth Copeland, has bound his hands with the Roman Catholic Church. In a bid, they have declared, I heard it with my own ear, I heard it with my own ears say, <laughs> the protest is over. Protestantism is the result of the protest against the Protestants, against the Catholic Church. He declared the protest is over. So if the protest is over, everyone in a Protestant church is now expected to do what? Go back to the mother church, which is the Catholic order. 
and everyone following this word of faith pastor is being drugged by the ankle back to the Catholic Church. Oh, I could spend a long <coughs> time right there. This is Gnosticism at work. To claim to be God, to claim that you can become God, and not to, not to throw more mud on the individual, but he is one of many 33rd degree Mason pastors. One of many. And you think the church is not in trouble? The people who are sitting in front of millions of individuals every week, leading the quote church, are steeped in this. Do you see why Ezekiel was crying out? Do you see why God was saying, son of man, have you seen? Son of man, have you seen what they're doing? Do you know what kind of services they're getting up to? Do you know what's buried under the altar? Dead bones. Dead bones are buried under the altar. Every Roman Catholic church, dead bones are buried down there. They're standing on the dead. The watchman must confront what is hidden in the church. Let's stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus. Daddy, your house is hemorrhaging. Father, your people are in dire trouble. We need you. We need you, Daddy God. We need your intervention. We need you to break through this place. We need you to arrest these violent and wicked people who are dragging your children into hell. Intervene, Father God. Disrupt them with their lies. Break open the prison houses and set them free who have been bound captive and silly, who have gone chasing after Gnosticism, Gnosis, chasing after falseness, chasing after false religion, Daddy God. Those who are leading the churches and institutions backwards, arrest them. Arrest every wicked and vile one of them and stop them in their tracks before they drag your church and your children into the darkness. Father, we are interceding. We are standing in the gap. We are refusing to let go of this place and this position. We are standing here in the name of Jesus and we are lifting up the trumpet and we are sounding the alarm. We are warning them. We are warning them. We are watching on the wall where you placed us and we are declaring to the four corners of the earth that Jesus is coming. You must come out from corruption. You must come out of the houses of abomination. You must come out of those idle practices. You must come out of every place that you have gone. You must destroy those false idols that you have been worshiping and leave those things and return to God and he will save you and heal you and deliver you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Daddy God, we lift up this intercession. We lift up this prayer. And as Jesus said, we know that you hear us because we are praying in his name. We are praying according to your word. We have not forsaken your word. We love your commandments. We love your instruction. And we're following after you. Strengthen, O God. 
every watchman to watch. Strengthen, O God, every watchman to declare. Strengthen, O God, everyone who will hear the blast of the trumpet to get up and to leave their sin, to walk out of those abominable places. They have put your name there, but do not worship you. To get up and leave those places in the name of Jesus and to seek the Lord while he may yet be found. Daddy God, Jehovah, our Savior, our God, our Father, deliver your house in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Find your neighbor, your friend, put your arms around him and tell them, please, please sound the alarm on your watch. Tell them, sound the alarm on your watch. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sound the alarm on your watch.